invite you to remain standing for the reading of our sermon text, and it comes from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. It should be on the screens behind me. This is the word of the Lord. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Um, preschoolers uh, can be dismissed. Thank you. All right. Uh, you guys can go with uh, Lucas. There he is, Mr. Lucas. So preschoolers, that means you, Jack and John, just making sure. Okay, Eric is in the nursery. So, all right, we're good. All right, good deal. All right. If you haven't already, I do want to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 35. We are focusing on a theme of waiting during Advent, as we should each year. And uh, as we're doing that, we're looking at various passages in the book of Isaiah to show us what we are waiting for. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on this concept of waiting for home. Um, earlier this week, the, the McElwains invited us over to their house uh, for dinner. And uh, I came for the dinner, but I stayed for the virtual reality video games, okay? So um, we're sitting there, we're eating dinner, we're chatting, we're talking, and uh, they were like, you know, there was, somehow we got talking about kids, you know, kids, because, I mean, for some reason, whenever you go and you have a dinner, you just you end up talking about your kids and the stuff that's going on. And uh, at one point, uh, Lucas shared that Clark had gotten, you know, something new, and he had gotten these virtual reality, like, goggles. Have you guys seen them? I'm sure you have. Yeah, the virtual reality headset, you put the headset on, you got, like, the controls here, awesome Christmas. Christmas gift idea guy's just saying, um, I'm probably, I'm, some of you parents are probably like, oh my, why did he have to mention that? I've, no. Um, so yeah, anyway, and so he was like, Clark, bring it down. Um, he goes upstairs, he brings it down, and he's got it on and everything, and everybody's trying it. Every single person that tried on the headset, so uh, Blakely was there, she tried it on, she's like, whoa, like that immediately. And then Erica tries it on, she's like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, you guys are ridiculous. What, have you never seen video, and I grew up playing video games, you know, all the time. So I, I knew exactly what, you know, to expect, or I thought I did. Um, and so it becomes my turn, I'm like, all right, now make sure, my head's a lot bigger, so just, you know, let's stretch this thing out, make sure it fits. I, guys, I'm not kidding you. If you've never done it before, I put that headset on, and immediately, I could not control myself. I was like, whoa! 
it's unbelievable. You put the headset on, and it really is like you are in a different world. I mean, you, you look up, you look around you, you turn around, and you're just, you're in this world. And I was like, how, how am I going? I look, I look, I wish someone would take a video of me. I look so silly. I'm like walking around, making sure I'm not hitting walls and stuff. I'm like, oh, there's a grid here. Okay, it's going to keep, it's going to protect me, keep me from hitting that wall. And then I was like, what do you got here, Clark? And I'm like looking and playing some game really terribly. I probably ruined, you know, some level that Clark was on in some game. Sorry, man, if that, if that happened. Um, but it was, it was unbelievable. You really, it really does feel like you're being transported to a brand new world. And Clark actually uh, joked, and I, I don't mean to say you out here, my man, but he said, I, you know, I asked that if I could wear it during church, you know. And I was like, I didn't say this, but I thought later, and I was like, actually, if we could somehow program the vision of Isaiah 35 into the, the VR headset, absolutely. We'd, we would, you know, want you guys to all get it. We could all have the headset on, and then I wouldn't even have to preach. We'd just look and see, you know, everything that's there. Isaiah is giving us this glorious, glorious vision of a future land to which the people of Israel, the people of God, will return. You see, the people of Israel were hoping and longing for a return from exile. They had been taken from their land. And so what they were wanting more than anything else is they were taken away by the Assyrians, as they were taken away by the Babylonians. What they wanted more than anything else was to return to the land of Israel, to Jerusalem, the city of God, Zion, the city of God. That's what they wanted. And eventually they got that. What Isaiah does here in, in Isaiah 35 is he says, there is actually a place that's even better than Jerusalem. Once you return to Jerusalem, there is still an exile into which you are in that you need to be rescued from. There is a land, there is a city that is out there for you that is coming down from heaven, and he wants to give us a picture of it. He, he does give us a picture of it. We are all longing deep down in our hearts for a better, newer world than the one that we live in. I, I don't know about you, but whenever I was growing up and I heard about Christianity, and I, I started learning more. I trusted in Jesus and started learning about what that meant. I'm not going to go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven. And people described heaven to me, and, and they, they talked about it, you know, being a very, you know, spiritual place. I'm not going to have a body. I'm going to be kind of like a spirit floating around. I have to be honest with you. As a kid, and, and this really has never left me, that does not excite me at all. The, the thought of being a spirit for the rest of eternity, you know, just floating around. And I just had to trust, like, okay, I mean, if God says that's best, then that's best. And I just don't understand right now. His ways are not my ways, but floating around on clouds does not sound of, you know, a fun way to spend 10 trillion years. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not down for that. Um, what Isaiah 35 helps us remember is that the end of the story is not floating around on clouds. The end of the story is not just some spiritual salvation. The end of the story is a world in which there's no decay and no destruction no sickness and no death, and it is very physical. And it reminds us of this. It shows us there is a world that is coming for us that is like this one, but infinitely better. And that deep down is what we want. We don't feel like we are at home here. And it's because we're not. We were made for a better, newer world. I want to show you from Isaiah 35 three things. First, I want to show you this vision of home vision of home that he gives us. Second, I want to show you the way to return home. And then finally, I want us to consider how we should live as we wait to be home. So first, the vision of home. Isaiah gives us this vision 
It's, it's of a future home, a future place that is for God's people. And, and we see it here really, clear, really clearly in a few verses. So in verses 1 and 2, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And if you jump down to verse 5, he continues to describe what this place will be like. He says, In this place the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame man will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, the burning sand shall become a pool, thirsty ground, springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, grass shall become reeds and rushes is this, this description. And this vision, this description of a new creation, a, a new home, a new world shows us two things, very simply. First is when you see that this is what we were made for, it becomes abundantly clear to you that we weren't made for this world. Not, not ultimately. So this world that we currently live in is not our home. If the, if the whole point of salvation is for us to return to the presence of God and to live in such a place, we don't currently live there. So, it, you know, you, you draw the conclusion that we don't belong here. This world is not our home. And secondly, we have this guarantee that one day we will be truly and finally home. So let's, let's think about those things. This world is not our home. We weren't meant to live in a world like this. And some of you literally just need to hear that. You're suffering right now. You're going through a really hard time. You're confused. You're frustrated. You're discontent. You are, you're in pain. You may just need to hear, it's not supposed to be this way. This is not how God designed his world, and this is not God's desire for his people in his world. And, and we feel this, you, you feel this anytime you're not at home. So when we visit family in Kentucky, I mean, our, our family is so gracious. They're so generous to us. My dad, he invites us in. He, he keeps us at his house. I mean, that dude, he gets, he, he, actually, it's really good for him because he gets more sleep whenever we stay there than, than any other time during the year. But, you know, we stay in his house. We invade his space. And he gives us, you know, places to stay. And, and it, we're so grateful. You know, we have beds to sleep in. We're not having to, you know, uh, fork out a ton of money for hotels or anything like that. But you, you know this. Anytime you travel, you just don't get that great of sleep. You know, we don't sleep very well. Why? Because it's, it's not our home. We design our homes to fit and to suit us. You know, you guys, you have particular things about you that, that causes you to, to do things in your home that, that maybe, uh, you know, my family wouldn't do. But that's why it's home for you. Um, things just don't seem right in this world and the reason is because we don't fit in this world and the reason that we don't fit in this world is because this world was never meant to be our final home you see to fully appreciate christmas the coming of christ we have to realize that we don't belong here now how, how can we tell that we don't belong here now i remember being um in, in college and when i was in college i was in a business class and I realized pretty quickly I didn't belong there. Um, it, it didn't take me too long. Uh, first of all, as they were running through what the class was going to be like, I was like, yeah, I hate business. I'm sorry. I, I tried. I, I, you know, first class, got the syllabus. They were explaining what we were going to do. I was like, I'm about to fall asleep right now. I'm already bored. I, it's going to take a lot of work and energy, and I hate this. I'm not going to do it. I, it really didn't take that long. But what sealed it for me was at the end of the class when the professor had us stand up and do the hokey pokey. 
okay? We had, to, we had to stand up, and we had to do this, like, all these different dances, and I was like, okay, I'm done. This is not for me. Um, how do we know that this world is not our home? Well, we have physical evidence, we have spiritual evidence, and we have emotional evidence. The physical evidence is obvious. The creation is cursed. That's, that's why, as Isaiah is describing what this world would be like, he starts with the creation. See what he says? The wilderness and the dry land will rejoice, will be glad. The desert will rejoice, and it will blossom. There will be no more like dry places, desolate places, deserts. It shall blossom abundantly, he says. It will rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. So these places, Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon, these regions, were beautiful, lush, flourishing places. And, and he's saying this land will be like that. Even the desert, even the wilderness will be this way. Um, the burning sand shall become a pool, Isaiah says. The thirsty ground springs of water. Waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams will flow in the desert. But it's not that way now. The creation is cursed. There's disease. There's decay. And there's, and there's death all around us. But there's spiritual evidence, too, that this world is not our home. And I, I find it very interesting in verse 2, at the very end of it, what Isaiah says. On that day... They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And the point here is that when we are finally home, we will live in a place where the glory of God is no longer hindered from us. We are not hindered from seeing the glory of the Lord in full. We will be fully in the presence of God. We see the glory of the Lord in our lives partially now. But it's, it's always hindered. It's hindered by our sin. It's hindered by life in a fallen world. But, but one day it will not be. Our, our relationship with him will be vibrant and full of life. But right now, we have the spiritual evidence to say we wake up every single day, and most of us are not waking up just shouting God's praises. Our relationship with him sometimes is strained, and we don't fully see the glory of the Lord, but there's also emotional evidence. And it's, it's just disappointment and discontentment. I mean, you know, even we've all experienced this. You desire something really deeply, you finally get it, and you expect to just have that moment where you're like, ah, oh, yes, finally. And it's just never quite like that, you know? I mean, I mean, sports is a great, a great analogy for this. I mean, you have, you know, champions like Tom Brady, who's, who's won, you know, what, six, six Super Bowls? I mean, we're losing count at this point, how many Super Bowls he's won. And he still talks about how he feels like he has to prove more. He, he has more to do, more to prove it. He'll, he'll never reach it, you know? I mean, we're like that. We're like that in our jobs. We're like that with our families. We're like that with, you know, the things that we love. We finally get what we think we want. We finally get to a place in life that we think will finally and fully satisfy us, and it just doesn't. Do you know why? Because this place is not our home. You're always going to feel just a little bit uncomfortable in the same way that you do when you are staying a weekend somewhere else. It just, it's, it's not home. Now, why? Why do we live in a world like this? I mean, you know, why, why, why is it this way? When we look at Isaiah 35, uh, we, we can come up with a few words that actually begin with R. It'd be a great sermon for, for some of you guys that are interested in preaching one day. Just have like three or four R words, right, from Isaiah 35. Words like restoration and renewal and recreation and return. But, but there's one more R word here that's really prominent in this vision, and it's reversal. Have you noticed it? Have you noticed how he talks about it? It's like the desert becomes, you know, flowing streams of water. Everything is reversed. The, the mute, they sing praises. The, the deaf, they, they can now hear. The, 
you know, the lame, they leap like, like a deer. It's, it's reversal. The, the future land is described in terms of reversal. And um, it's, it's, it's really emphasizing that this world is a world of no mores. No more deserts. No more decay. It's the language of endings and beginnings of a new creation. And especially relevant for the Israelites who would have been the first ones to read this poem. This language of reversal represents a return from exile. It's the language of no longer. It has been this way, but no longer. It represents a return from exile. The biblical concept for not feeling at home like things are not right is called exile. And it's a major theme that stretches through the whole Bible. The reason that Isaiah's vision of a future glorious home is so beautiful is not just because it represents a wonderful land that we're one day going to live in. It represents a return from exile. Exile is like banishment. It's, it's, it's punishment. Throughout history, it's been used as, as an alternative to death. So, you know, you, you may have someone who's, who's more of a prominent figure, you know, who, who commits treason or some just heinous act. And instead of putting them to death, the alternative to that is exile, banishment. You can no longer live in this kingdom. You're, you're exiled to, to another land. Um, exile is also a natural consequence to broken relationships. We just don't call it exile. We call it estrangement. But you think about it. If, if you've had a relationship with someone and that relationship is broken and you're no longer in a relationship with them, what? You're essentially banishing one another from, from you know, uh, each other's lives. It's, it's a, we call it estrangement, but it's a natural consequence to, to the breaking of relationships. We are not at home today. We exist in the world that we live in because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve chose treason. And they chose to break their relationship with God. They were exiled. They were banished from humanity's true home. And we've been wandering ever since. Exile shows up, as we've said, when God's people, Israel, continued time and time again to break their covenant with God. God sent the Assyrians, and then he sent the Babylonians to take his people away from their land and into exile. And then even in the time of Jesus, the theme of exile is seen as the Romans were the ones who occupied Israelite lands. Exile is not just spiritual. Exile is spiritual and it is physical. Along with exile came a curse. God cursed the land we see in Genesis 3. And humanity stands under the curse of sin. This is why the world is the way it is. This is why you and I do not feel at home. Because we are banished from God's presence, we live in a world like this. And this is why Paul writes in Romans 8 that even creation itself is groaning and longing with deep anticipation the final redemption of God's people. But this vision obviously also shows us what our home will one day be like. And it deeply encourages us to know that this isn't the end. There's a new creation, a new world in which God's people will dwell. This world is not as good as it gets. Praise God, right? It's, this world is not as good as it gets. Isaiah 35 shows us that our best experiences in this world 
are merely a foretaste of what's to come. And our worst experiences in this world will be a distant memory one day in the future. And what is our future home like? It is a home of renewal. All of creation will be renewed. Brand new. It, it is a home of restoration. There will be restored bodies. There will be no more blindness. There will be no more deafness. There will be no more disabilities. And ultimately, there will be no more death. They're gone. They're gone just in the same way that as the desert will flow with streams of water and there will be no more desert, life everlasting will flow in this land. And there will be no more death and there will be no, nothing that could lead to death. No more disease, no more sickness, no more disability. Full restoration. And then finally, and this is what's best, there will be full revelation. The glory of God will be fully revealed. We will have unhindered access to his presence and our relationship with him will be full and vibrant forevermore. This is the vision that Isaiah gives us. But that's, that's only, you know, you put the headset on uh, in, with the VR goggles, you know, at least right now, you can take them off. I don't know, maybe one day in the future I'll put that sucker on and it'll be stuck and that'll be my existence forevermore. I don't know. But you can take it off. Um, it, it's only this, this vision of a, of a glorious home is only good news to us if we actually get to be there. So how can we return from this exile experience that we have to live in the presence of God forever? How can we return? What does Isaiah have for us? Um, Christmas is actually the answer. The answer is Christmas. The coming of Jesus is the only way for us to return home. And there are a couple things I want to show you from verses 8 through 10. Um, very clearly, there is a way for God's people to return home. And praise God that God himself is the one that makes certain that return. There are two things that we see here. So let me look at the verses with you. Verse 8, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall, not belong, or it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Verse 9, Now no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And then verse 10, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. A couple things we see here. First, and this is really important. This is really important to see. We actually don't deserve to return home. We, we don't deserve to return home. We keep our status as exiles. Nothing can change what we did to deserve banishment. Nothing can change that. So we actually don't deserve to return home. Just because a beautiful and glorious land exists does not mean that we deserve to live in it. Um, so the promise here in verse 10 is truly amazing news. The ransom of the Lord shall return. They will return. The reason that's amazing news is because it didn't have to be this way. God did not owe us a return from exile. But praise be to God that the way back to his presence and our true home is officially open, even though we don't deserve it. Second, what we see is that we can't earn our way home. 
And that's what we're tempted to do here. We look at a passage like this and we say, okay, there's this glorious land out there for us, and there's a highway, there's a way, there's a road, there's a path that we need to get on in order to get there. And so our minds immediately say, okay, well, what do we got to do? What do we got to do to get on that path? What do we got to do to walk that path? What do we got to do to stay on that path? And we see, uh, you know, uh, language like it's the way of holiness and the unclean shall not pass over it. And so then our minds, we say, okay, well, we have to keep ourselves clean. We have to keep ourselves righteous and then we can stay on the path. And if we keep ourselves righteous for long enough, the path will end and we will be in this glorious home. Um, But it doesn't work that way. Because if it was up to us, we would never set foot on that path. And if we did set foot on on that path, we would never be able to keep going on that path. We would turn a different way. Don't think that you would be any better than the Israelites were. Don't think that you would be any better than Adam and Eve in the garden. No, we choose exile. We, we, We choose to go a different way every single time because of our sinful nature. Um... But this path that's described, it is a path that leads home. And it is a path that's described in a few, a few ways. It is a righteous path. It is a secure path. It is a purchase path. It's a righteous path. Um, and it's a secure path, meaning that there is no sin on this path to pollute us. And there's no evil on this path to harm us. So this builds It's also a purchase path because you notice it says that only the redeemed shall walk there. Okay, so so this means that the only people traveling this highway toward the city of God are those who have been redeemed or ransomed by the Lord himself. God has stepped in and purchased his people to bring us home. So if we will one day finally be home, it will be because God himself has purchased us. So we don't deserve to re- return home. We can't earn our way home. God himself will bring us home by coming down to save us from verse 5. And this is how it connects to Christmas. This happens through Jesus, through his coming. First, it happens through his incarnation. Jesus brings us home by leaving his home. Jesus left the glory of heaven and he descended into our darkness. He took on human flesh and he opened himself to all of the decay and desolate parts of life in a fallen world. He experienced this world as it is in full. And this is really evident in the birth of Jesus. Now, Friday night, Jude and I were at, um, there he is, taking a little cat nap right now, that's cool. Um, Jude and I were at uh, 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 the house, we were by the fire pit, and we were talking about a lot of stuff. We were talking about Sunday, we were talking about the Lord's Supper, and we, we have awesome conversations about the Lord's Supper because he, you know, he, can't, he can't partake of the Lord's Supper and he really wants to. So it opens up amazing conversations. Well, as we were talking about that, we started talking about the birth of Jesus, and it really did not go the way that I thought it would. Because the, the birth story of Jesus is just something that's just made for kids, or so we think, you know? It's like, this is so cool, it's so sweet, it's a little baby being born, and so I'm actually telling the story and I'm going to the scriptures and and we're walking through it and as I tell him the story of how Jesus was born he just he just got a little disgusted he was just like what what happened who was Jesus's doctor you know um where was the hospital 
I'm like, and so as, as I was correcting, you know, that, I was like, man, these are good questions. This is actually really troubling, you know? It's like, you know, oh, no, sweet baby Jesus is, is sleeping in the manger, and, and here he is. And then we're like, oh, yeah, but there were animals all around. We, need to, we don't need to sentimentalize the story. But, guys, really think about this. We're, what we're saying is that we believe that the eternal God of heaven, first of all, became a human. Why? Would, why do that? That in and of itself is tremendous humility. It's, it's what we call theologically the, his state of humiliation. Because it is humiliation for the eternal God to take on human flesh and live in a fallen world. That's amazing in and of itself. But then think about the way that Jesus was born, okay? So I had to explain to him, you know, well, there weren't really hospitals in the way that we have them. And, you know, there weren't really doctors available the way that we have them. And that, that's, that's fine. Jesus wasn't even born in a house, the eternal God of heaven wasn't even born inside. <laughs> He's, his, his, I was telling him, I was like, yeah, his mom and dad, they had to travel because, you know, the king or the leader of the time told, told the people they had to go to their hometowns because they were going to count all the people in a census. They're on the road, and she's, she's really, really pregnant. She has the baby basically on the road, essentially. You know, stop by, hey, you got any room in there? Nope. Do you see this picture, though? Do you see it? The eternal God, Jesus, leaving his home and becoming homeless. He's born homeless. He's not even, he's not even born. He entered our homelessness. He entered our exile. The conditions of Jesus' birth should startle us a little bit. It should disturb us a little bit. I mean, if, if Mary had called Dr. Eric to come and visit and see baby Jesus out in the manger, he may, he may bring CPS with him, you know? I mean, this is, this is it's, it's, a li- it's a little disturbing. But it points us, it points us to what Jesus came to do. Through his birth, Jesus willingly entered exile. No one willingly enters exile. It's always punishment. He willingly entered exile. He left his home to dwell in a foreign land of misery and shame and suffering. No one knows our experience in this fallen world as much as Jesus. But he does something even better than that. So it's not just symbolic through his birth. He actually entered into spiritual exile in our place on the cross. So now Isaiah here, he tells us that only the redeemed of the Lord will return home. Only the redeemed of the Lord will return home. We are redeemed and we return because Jesus willingly entered the ultimate cosmic exile in our place. You see, one of the ways that the Israelites would would find atonement or or forgiveness for their sins was through uh, something, you know, popularly called the scapegoat. Okay, so what they would do on the, on the Day of Atonement is a priest would, would, they would, they would bring two goats. One of them would be sacrificed, you know, sorry, buddy. Um, he, he would be sacrificed. The other one is, is before the priest. The priest lays his hands on the head of the goat, symbolically placing and confessing all of the sins of all of the people of Israel on this goat. And then the goat is banished from the camp, sent out, away, which symbolically represented the removal of their sins so that the people of God could continue to dwell in the presence of God. 
This is really important. It's not just an off detail. When Jesus was crucified, he, he wasn't crucified right in the city square. When Jesus was crucified, he was taken outside the camp. He was taken outside the city gates. He was crucified on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And, and as, he's, as he is dying on the cross, he is taking our sins away. The removal of our sins is found in Jesus, our scapegoat who was crucified outside the city gates. His cry of forsakenness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross, is a picture of his exile and banishment. Jesus was cut off from the land of the living. In this moment of Jesus' death, the Lord visited his people. In verse 4, Behold, your God will come to you with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. In this moment of Jesus' death on the cross, the Lord visited his people with both judgment and salvation. Judgment falling on Jesus, so salvation may fall to us. We return home from exile because Jesus was exiled in our place. He's the one. He is the only one who can bring us home. And we can dare to hope that no matter how hard our lives get in this world, in our experience of exile, no matter how hard they get, we can be assured that it is all fading away as a world of endless joy has dawned. Because of what Jesus has done, one day we will really, truly, finally be home. A place where joy never ends, a place where sorrow never begins. There will be a flourishing land where all that is wrong with the world will be undone. That's where we're headed. That, that, that is ahead of you. That is your future because of what Jesus has done for you. And we will see it with our own eyes when he comes again. One more thing. So, there's a home. Jesus is the way back. What do we do in the meantime? What do we do? Well, you're going to get sick of hearing this. You know what we have to do? Tell me. We have to wait. We have to wait. Do you know the alternative to waiting? Not waiting. Sorry, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, you know, true. Um, moving, leaving, waiting. Waiting is what we're called to. How do we wait? How can we do that? Well, a couple things. We have to live with an awareness that this world is not our home. That's really important. The Israelites, their greatest failure, their greatest failure while they were in exile was that they forgot they were in exile. That sounds crazy. That was, that was their biggest failure. They forgot they weren't home. They forgot they were in exile. And what did they start to do? They just adopted the practices of the people there. There were exceptions. That's why the book of Daniel is so, is so important, because there were exceptions to that. But, but a lot of the people, as they were living in exile, they just adopted the practices of the people around them. They grew comfortable. Beware of being too comfortable in this world. The more comfortable you are with the things of this world, the more prone you are to forget that this world is not your home. 
And what happens when we forget that this world is not our home? We start to resemble the culture that we live in rather than cultivating the culture that we were made for. We start to love the world more than the Lord. So live with a conscious awareness that this world is not your home. Remember that you are an exile. You are a sojourner traveling through this world and resist growing so comfortable here that you feel like you're at home. Okay, second thing we need to do. We need to walk the path that we've been placed on. Who is on this path of holiness, this way of holiness that returns home? The redeemed of the Lord. If you have been redeemed by the Lord, if you were trusting in Jesus, if his blood has covered you, then you need to walk this path. The journey that we are walking is in pursuit of Jesus. It ends in a promised land of beauty and glory, but it is a path of holiness and righteousness. So while we wait for home, live now like we will live on that day in that land trusting the Lord all the way. Um, two more things, and this comes from verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read them. Um, we need to wait with courage, and we need to wait with confidence. I love Isaiah's exhortation in the middle of this passage. Look what he says in verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart. So do you have an anxious heart this morning? Living in a fallen world? Here's your counsel. Be strong. Fear not, because your God has come to save you. Don't check out. That's what, that's what we're so tempted to do, right? You hear of this glorious future, and you're like, take me now, Lord. Just to, hey, I'm good with it. Take me right now. You know, I, I don't want to live another minute. Take me to the glory, you know, that you have for me in the future. Just, just or return now. No, no, no. He says, that future is waiting you, so that should motivate you to live in faithfulness. Now, life is hard. We are in the wilderness. Decay and disease and death, they are in front of us. But the counsel is, do not be afraid. You know why? Because the God who has made the way for us to return home has drawn near to us, has literally come down to us to make it happen. This is a God who is present with his people, even in their sin and in their suffering. And he isn't going anywhere. So be strong and fear not. Finally, we need to with confidence. Um, it's really easy to doubt that such a day of endless joy will ever come. And Corey talked a lot about doubting earlier. And it's, it's, it's really important to, to be honest with your, with your doubts. If you're doubting this morning that such a world will exist, or if you're doubting this morning that Jesus can actually take you there, um, you need to know that you're in good company. John the Baptist once doubted Jesus in this way. Will you turn with me to Matthew 11? Real quick, and we'll be done. Matthew 11. Uh, John the Baptist was really excited when Jesus came. He baptized him. Um, he, he believed that he was the Messiah. John the Baptist is eventually arrested, and John the Baptist is really struggling right now because if Jesus really is who he said he was, things should be happening, you know? The, the Romans should be overthrown. Jesus should be reigning as the king in Jerusalem. Some stuff should be happening, and nothing's really happening. And so John honestly wonders, did I get it wrong? Is Jesus not who I thought he was? And so John's in prison. 
and he hears about what Jesus has done, tells us in verse 2. And he actually sends his disciples to ask this really important question. Here's, here's what he asks in verse 3 of Matthew 11. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? What a great question. And that is a question that you have to reconcile this morning. Is Jesus the one who has come to take us home? Or should we look for another? Because we're going to have to look. Because we're still living in this world that's not our home. And there's nothing that we can do to fix it. Are you the one or shall we look for another? And here's what Jesus said. He takes him back to Isaiah 35. He tells the messengers, go and tell John what you hear and see. Listen to these words. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus says, I am the one. Just as the Lord Jesus came to us to inaugurate this new creation, to guarantee a future home of glory for us, he will just as certainly come again. He will make it happen. And when he comes again, we need to remember what will happen. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It'll blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. And they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon your head. Everlasting joy. And you will obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away.